I'm excited uh, that we have the opportunity to be together this morning and to continue uh, in the message. And so obviously already want to uh, welcome you here as Eric already has done so well. Uh, But I want to encourage you to either open up your Bibles or if you do have the Bible app, you can open that up and uh, find our event, follow along. Or you can also obviously look at the screens and everything will be projected up here. we're in the, the, the middle of a series, not in the middle, the front end of a series called Consider the Source. Consider the Source. And uh, this morning, the message is entitled Division. Division, which just sounds so optimistic and encouraging, right? Welcome to Centerway. Let's talk about division. Uh, but the reality, it's what the passage of Scripture is about. And so what this series really is, is it's us navigating and moving through the front end of 1 Corinthians, uh, the first six chapters. And so uh, we're excited to continue in that series. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're taking the next section of thought, which is verses 10 through 17. And so here we go. The Apostle Paul writes this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all, that all of you, sorry, that all of you agree and that there would be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and, and not with eloquence, sorry, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, We're thankful that we have the opportunity to come into this place and to create margin within our lives, to hear from you, to hear from your word. And so I pray that we would leave this place having had uh, a legitimate encounter with the living God and forever to be changed as a result. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. So I got to admit on the front end, you can probably hear my voice. I'm a little congested, so I'm on some medication. And typically, I'm easily distracted, kind of like an ADD, ADHD. I don't know. Maybe that's adult onset. I'm not sure. So... I'm just putting a little thing out there. If I get super distracted this morning, we're going to blame it on the medication, and you guys are just going to enjoy the ride. <laughs> As I started thinking about uh, this morning's message, I thought of, a, of stories that involve kind of that childhood tug of war. Uh, and what I mean is that declaration of, this is mine, and then someone else screams, no, this, it's mine. And you kind of pull it back and forth. And, and I could think of just really a lot of different stories of the tug of war of like, it's mine. No, 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 it's mine. It's mine. And, uh, and so I really want to talk about it on principle because all, all the illustrations were kind of endless and somewhat embarrassing, not because I played with Barbies. Because I didn't. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I had two sisters, though, so they were everywhere. And sometimes they got kidnapped by me. All right, I'm coming clean. But in either case, uh, that, that childhood tug of war, you've all been there. And the reality is we don't grow out of the childhood tug of war. It just kind of changes. The things we pull on, the tension points, they're different. But we're still kind of 
tug of war of what it is that we want. And regardless of, of who you are and what it is that you've kind of pulled on, if you've ever witnessed that, and of course I have a different perspective now having three children, I get to witness this firsthand where you're like trying to calm them down as they have something of value that they're both pulling on one way or the other. And what happens is a parent, if you're a fairly good one, um, you try to provide perspective. And so in that moment you say, no, 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 stop, stop pulling on it. Stop, 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 stop. Right? And so usually they hold steady. Like they don't literally stop, right? Because they can't give in. <laughs> so they just literally stop like this while holding on to whatever it is they're pulling on. And then you give the perspective. You say, listen, if you guys keep doing this, one of you is going to fall down because somebody's going to let go eventually and, and you're going to go flying across the room. Right? And so you're trying to pr provide some perspective here. Like, listen, stop pulling on that thing. Someone is about to get hurt. And so we know the result of that type of clarity if you're as good of a child as I was, means simply that you start pulling slower, right? You don't actually like, oh, you're just like, okay, okay, all right, so be careful now, ready? Because it's still mine. It's still mine. And so you start to, the slow pull. And, and so the parent's still there like, listen, stop. What are you doing? You're going to break it, right? It's going to rip. Whatever it is that you're pulling on is about to tear. Will you knock it off? Stop. And so you provide perspective again, like the thing you're fighting for is about to be destroyed. Of course, like a very good, logical child, this revelation strikes us with extreme clarity. And so at that moment, what we decide is we will tighten our grip in order to be more cautious on that which we're pulling on. So uh, it's still mine, I'm just being more careful with my pull now. And, and maybe you were a better kid than I, but that's the way it went with me, and that seems to be the way that it goes with my kids, predominantly because of my wife's influence on their lives. <laughs> but in either case, you know, this tug of war continues until, until that moment where all of a sudden either someone's grip lets loose, they fall to the ground, they begin crying and they're angry at their brother or their sister. Or the moment in which the item they're pulling on begins to actually tear, right? You've been there, I think. Maybe I'm the only one. You guys are all sitting there like, wow, your childhood. <laughs> yeah, it was really rough. We pulled on things. <laughs> but you start to hear the, the tearing of a material or the tearing of the seam of something or something starts to break. And all of a sudden it's like, okay. All bets are off. All right, all right, let it go, let it go, let it go. And oftentimes by then, it might be too late. The item rips in half, it breaks, you name it. The, the point of the story and the reason why I'm sharing the illustration with you this morning is because we get so focused on what it is that we want that we don't even care that what it is that we want starts to be destroyed in the process. We get so focused on what we want. So I want to ask you a question this morning. What is your focus? What is your focus? What is it that you're so zoned in on that sometimes the rest of the world kind of gets a little, a little clouded and foggy? I know the room is filled with people from all walks of life and different thoughts about God and spirituality, but whether you'd consider yourself a committed Christ follower this morning or whether you're on the other side and you're not even sure that God exists and you're, you're kind of here just figuring it out and, and trying to wade into the water, regardless of who you are on that spectrum. We all have something in common as humans. We're all focusing on something. There's something that has our undivided attention. And so what is your focus? 
This is a, it's a critical question to consider because what we focus on reveals the affections of our heart. Whatever it is that we're focusing on is the center of our life. It, it ultimately has the authority in our lives. Because it dictates the way we respond, the way we act, even in loving relationships. It's all through this grid of what it is that we're focused on. And, and our focus is quite literally our center and that which we assign worth to. And so in a very real way, by definition, that which we assign worth to is that which we worship. Because that's the definition of worship, is to assign worth. And so what we're talking about this morning, and what Paul is talking about, is what is in the center of your life that is becoming so important that you're literally worshiping it? I want to submit to you this morning that as humans, our focus is often our preference. It's often the way we want things, the way we think things should work out. It's, it's our way, our way or the highway. So if, if you follow that logic, the Corinthians, much like us, were consumed by self. Number one, it's all about me. Our society pushes it. When it's all about me, that leads to division. You see, because when it's all about me, I'm not really considering you at all. This is about what I want. And so I'm going to pull a little harder. I'm going to hold a little tighter. I'm going to pull a little slower. I'm going to make sure that whatever it is that I want, I get. And so in verse 10 here, Paul is saying, I appeal to you, brothers. And before you get too excited, women in the room, like, oh, see, it's his fault. <laughs> before you get too excited, the, the Greek here is actually referring to both men and women. So it's translated in some places, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to the entire church at Corinth. All right. So I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now listen, Paul is not demanding some uniformity here, all right? That's not logical. That's not possible. It doesn't make sense. Like, Paul's not looking at the church and saying, listen, all of you now think the same. All care about the same stuff. Do it, right? That would be absurd. He's not talking about encouraging them to become mindless robots. No, he's talking about something a little bit deeper or a little bit more elementary, depending on how you perceive it. Because the word that he uses when he says, let there be no divisions among you, this word divisions, in the original word, in the original Greek, it means to tear or split. And so what he's saying is, let there be no splitting or tearing among you. When, when, when a fishing net tears, that's kind of the, the word that's used here. Literally something that begins to rip. You see, when self is your focus, when your preference is what matters and drives you, it tears. It splits. You can hold tighter. You can maybe pull a little more intently. But all of a sudden, you feel your marriage start to rip. All of a sudden, you start to feel the friendship begin to rip. You can witness some tears, some pulling apart, because at the end of the day, my goodness, you're so concerned with yourself that in this moment, that's all that matters. And oftentimes, by the time you hear the ripping, it's too late. Maybe someone lost grip, fell to the ground. They're angry. I'm kidding. 
can't believe you care so much about being right. Fine. And the relationship is severed. So whether it's a friendship, a marriage, a relationship between a, a parent and a child, the illustrations and the examples are endless. But Paul is looking at them and saying, listen, be united. Be united. Not be robots. Not think alike. United here actually literally means to be restored or knit together. It's the implication that when you tear, you commit to being restored. You see, because life inevitably causes tears and rips in our relationship. And Paul's saying, listen, in all things, avoid division. Lean in to the mending of your relationships. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Do do we just say, okay, here, you can have the toy, right? Try that with your kids. (laughs) Give it to them. (laughs) No! (laughs) Right? It feels like nobody wins. and, and, And we deal with that. Like I said, we don't grow out of it. So how do we deal with the fact that we're still holding on to something that matters? In context, understanding the section of scripture that we covered last week, Paul is saying that we're united by the grace that is in Jesus. That our unity is actually a higher perspective than the thing we're fighting over. And he appeals by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that our focus on Jesus unifies us. Now he's talking to a church. And so I realized that this morning. It's like the tension of how does this apply into my life if I'm sitting here saying, I'm not sure that there is a God. Because the truth of the matter is, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I I think in Christendom, oftentimes uh, we, we kind of overstate the potential of being in a Christian community. We say things like, well, if Jesus is the center of your marriage, then you wouldn't be having problems. Like, really? Because I don't remember giving my life to the Lord and then running through fields with flour everywhere and money flying out of my pockets and be like, oh my gosh, I gave my life to the Lord and now I have no pain and no suffering, no hurt. All my relationships are fine. Everything I say to my wife, she says yes. Praise the Lord. It's absurd. It's this plastic idea that I think if we buy into the world, the outside, and maybe even some of you this morning looks at and be like, you guys are a joke. Like my life hurts. My relationships sometimes tear. And Paul's saying, listen, the way you heal that within the church is, is the unifying reality of Christ. And so apart from Christ, when a relationship starts to tear, the focus is really just what I want. So at the end of the day, if it's just what I want, I pull a little harder, I hold a little tighter. But with Christ in the center of the relationship, it provides us to to begin to say, okay, what's really the center of this marriage? What is it that we can really unify around? Maybe in the midst of this pain and difficulty, we need to pray. We need to lean in and say what it is. What is it that the word of God says about our relationship? So really, what what Paul's talking about is perspective. Much like a parent, he's saying, listen, listen, what are you doing? What are you doing? Stop. Don't rip this apart. Don't tear this. Someone's going to get hurt. Don't you, don't you care? Don't you love each other? See, so he appeals in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because our focus on Jesus is what unifies us. We are only able to award grace 
when we understand the grace awarded to us. Let me say that again. Like until you, until you understand the fact that you deserve hell and that ultimately Jesus lived the life, the perfect sinless life that we cannot and that he died the death that we deserve and that he awards grace to us in the midst of our brokenness. Until you can come to that place of understanding, you will never be able to award grace to others. Because you need to be rocked by the reality of like, wait a second, well, I was still an enemy of God, he loved me? Well, I was still all jacked up in my sin? Well, I was still a hot mess? He loved me? Yeah. We've got to be rocked by that daily. It's got to mess up our lives. It's got to reprioritize everything that we look at. And, and, and so I want to tell you this morning, you're only able to award grace when you fully understand the grace that's been awarded to you. And so division reveals a lack of understanding of the gospel, right? Isn't that interesting? If you, if you consider the reality and the implications of the gospel on one's life and you say, but how can we be fractured? It's, it's really the, the revelation of the fact that you don't understand the gospel. That's why people gossip. That's why people speak bad against others. That's why relationships tear. It's because they don't understand the grace they've been awarded. And now we're all humans, and so we're going to do those things. We're going to fall short. But when we tear, when we rip, if we focus on what unites us, all of a sudden we can come back and say, I was wrong. Listen, I'm not perfect, and I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? Somewhere along the line, this became more about me than, than us, and I was out of line. You see, their, their quarreling here is a big deal in this church. In the Corinthian church, uh, the, the quarreling is so big that actually if you look at verse 11, it talks about people from, uh, from Chloe's house, Chloe's people. And Chloe was a wealthy Asian woman that was uh, doing a lot of trading between Ephesus and Corinth. And so she would literally send people to go and do her business. And so what, what we really see, what history tells us is that there was a, a group of her employees, essentially, for lack of a better word, that were traveling from Ephesus to Corinth. And when they were in Corinth, they went to the Corinthian church and they were like, wow, these guys are angry at each other. There's a ton of division. And so when they come back to Ephesus where Paul is, because Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians from Ephesus. We talked about that last week. And so they come back and they're like, hey, Paul, just so you know, it's a hot mess over there. Like they are divided. They're literally opposed to one another. I think it's so devastating when people outside of the church can look at the church and say, they're a hot mess. That's what Paul is saying here. He's like, I can't believe that this is obvious. It's so bad, it's obvious to outsiders. And so he goes on in verse 12, and he says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos. Apollos um, was an eloquent communicator that followed Paul in teaching the church of Corinth. And so we talked about the Corinthian church, the Corinthian community, and they really elevated eloquence of speech, oratory ability. And so Apollos came in, he was a great orator. And so some of the people are saying, listen, I'm all about Apollos, the dude was sharp. And then he goes on, he says, or I follow Cephas, who's actually the apostle uh, Peter, who 
may or may not have even ever attended uh, the church there in Corinth or communicated history isn't really super specific on. But then he goes on and says, or I follow Christ. So what I see here is, is a preference for teachers that are dividing them. A preference for pastors that are dividing them. Like, oh, he's my favorite pastor, though. Really? Like, that's what we're fighting about? Yeah, I just, I don't like that other guy. I don't like it when he preaches. Holy cow. Wow. You don't understand the gospel. What I think is interesting is this. He says, I follow Christ. Isn't it interesting that he includes, I follow Christ in the rebuke? That in the, correction, in the correction, he says, also, some of you are saying, I follow Christ. And if I'm in the Corinthian church, I'm like, wait, like, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> and so I'm, so I'm so intrigued by the fact that, that Paul includes that, but he includes it because of this. It's an indication that those claiming to follow Christ were acting like they were superior spiritually by claiming they followed Christ. And so they were no better than the others. Isn't it interesting that doing the right thing with the wrong heart condition is still sin? Oh, I hate that. I hate that. She's like, really? Like, I'm doing it right. Like, yeah, but how's your heart? You're like, I don't want to talk about that. I follow Christ. <laughs> I follow Christ. But the reality is we can fall into this rhythm. And I want to tell you, the, the, the leadership here at Centerway, we're going to war against this idea that, that we are somehow spiritually superior to those around us. We're, we're a community of people that are on a journey of grace. And we're all a mess. <laughs> we're all a mess. Paul then goes on to, into three rhetorical questions in verse 13. And uh, he says this, the first one. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And I love rhetorical questions in general within scripture, but uh, the word divided here is actually different. So we would, might be tempted to say, if we're listening to me at all, uh, some of you may have just woken up, but uh, he says, is Christ divided? We might say, wait, is Christ torn? I don't understand. But the word divided here is actually a different word. It's a different word that has a, a similar meaning. But when you look at that Greek word, what it really means is, is Christ apportioned out? Or it means to separate into component parts. And so what he's saying is, hey, listen, do you, just, do you just get a little bit of Jesus? Is that what happens? Is that what happens? We learn here that we don't get a piece of Jesus in our lives. We don't get a portion of grace. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can walk fully as a child of God. And it's a unifying rhetorical question. It's a rhetorical question that's saying, listen, did Christ just portion himself out? Is the focus Jesus here? Because if it's Jesus, that changes everything. If it's all about you, then you've got some learning to do. Paul's reference to baptism here is to clarify that regardless of who baptized you in water, you were baptized in the name of Christ. 
And so we believe here that when you're baptized in water, it's a symbol of, of an inward change. It's an outward symbol and declaration of what it is that Christ has done in your life. And so that when you go down under that water, your old life dies and the new one comes up out of that water. It's a symbol of an inward decision that you made to come to know Christ. And Paul's saying, listen, I didn't baptize you in my name. We're baptized in the name of Christ, that which Jesus has done. And so what he's saying is in the same way that you have Christ completely, just to remind you, you gave yourself completely to Christ. So lay your preferences aside. Paul's saying, consider the source. Consider the source. In light of what Christ has done, focus on Jesus. And your focus being centered on Jesus, will literally mend that which is torn. It's, it's an amazing picture of something that I think we all struggle with. How can we ever repair this relationship? People within our families that there's still a rift between. There's marriages that are in trouble. The divorce rate within churches are, is just as high as the divorce rate outside of people that say they attend a church. It's horrifying. Paul's speaking to that reality. Like, seriously, that there's a tearing happening within the church? The idea of, of backbiting and people speaking against each other within the church, it just it doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. It goes against the truth of the gospel. And Paul is saying, listen, if Jesus is in the center, if, if he is the focus of your life, that can literally start to mend that which is torn. And so I want to ask you again, what is your focus? Is it about your preference? Is it about what you want in a dating relationship? Is it about what you want in a marriage? Is it about what you want in a friendship? Is it about what you want, whatever the situation may be? Or have you allowed the opportunity for Christ to be the center and maybe mend some brokenness that only he can mend? Paul then brings it all together in this powerful concluding verse. In verse 17, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom. So he's speaking right to their culture. It's not about how fancy I say it. It's not about how much it sounds good to you. But here's the deal. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It's not about how I say it. It's about that which Christ has done. To focus on anything other than the gospel will cause us to drift towards division. Isn't that interesting? That the tendencies of our heart is to drift towards division, to focus on anything other than the gospel. It's amazing with social media, video games, different things that, that kind of populate our society, how we put that stuff right in the center of our lives, to be engaged with other people, to be engaged in, in the things that are going on in our society. Sometimes Trump, our time to engage the Lord. So something for you to consider this morning as you leave this place. A question that maybe you can ask each other as you uh, are driving home or something to maybe journal about by yourself this evening. Here it is. What am I focusing on that is drifting me towards division? What am I focusing on that's drifting me towards division? And you know, division doesn't only happen to be, happen to be relational. There's actually division between us and God, right? When something else becomes the center of our life and we assign worth to it, we begin worshiping that thing. 
money, job, you name it. And that which we assign worth to, we derive identity from. And so in that moment that we put something else in the center, we become a lesser version of that which God called us to be and created us to be. And so something to reflect on is what is it that I've put in the center of my life? Is it about moving forward in my career? Is it about um, allowing finances to grip every area of my life? Is it about a relationship? Is it about something that is torn? Because whether we are tearing at the fabric of our relationships on this plane or tearing at the fabric of our relationships on this plane, the answer is to allow Jesus to be the center and focus of our lives. Do you have a preference for comfort this morning? A preference to carry an offense? Maybe the belief that you're right. How about this? Maybe you are right. Who cares? Right? That's hard. I really like when I'm right. And I really like to let people know, like, no, I'm like really right here. Like, here's truth. Like, like it's right. I'm sorry. Like, two plus two equals four. I'm sorry that makes you cry. <laughs> but if the focus is accuracy we can still be right for the wrong reason. We can learn a lot from this text if we allow God to do the work that he wants to do in and through us. The gospel requires us to focus on the grace that we've been awarded. So what are we gonna do with it? We can come and just have a, another church service, be like, oh, that was great, that was fun. That bald dude, he makes me laugh sometimes. And we can leave this place and then that was it. You just check the box of another religious activity in your life. Or you can allow an encounter with the living God to start wrecking you a little bit. Start maybe changing the way you look at a relationship or changing the way you hear the tearing of something before it becomes too late. Maybe the idea of extending some humility and grace to someone in light of the grace that God has given you in the humility that he displayed on the cross. So what does it require of you this morning? I'm not sure, I'm not here to play the Holy Spirit, but I know that when we encounter the truth of the text, it requires something of every single person in this room. And so for maybe some of you this morning, it requires a decision to say, you know what? I'm going to allow Christ to be the center of my life. I'm going to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of my life for the first time. I'm gonna put him in the center and see what the ripple effect of that is. Maybe for some of you this morning, you say, listen, I've already put Christ in the center, and he's revolutionized every area of my life, but I've never gone public with that, and I want, I want to be baptized. And so we're in the midst of, of figuring out our first water baptism as a young church, and we're excited to do that. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Maybe the application for you this morning is to have a conversation with someone where they fell, and you walked away with the item, and they're hurt, but you were right. And it was yours. You got to come back around and say, hey, I was, I was wrong. Maybe for some of you, it's an apology. Maybe the offense is so old that it would be more painful to pull it up. And maybe it just requires you to lay it down before God. Say, okay, Lord, I was, I was wrong. I don't know what it is that the text requires, but it requires something for every single person in this room. And if you think this morning this requires nothing of me, I already know this, then the text requires you to repent 
of your spiritual elitism because you've gotten to a place where you don't think the gospel can change you. You've gotten to a place where you're like, I know the scripture, I get it. Yeah, Jesus is in the center. Boom, done. You never grow beyond that. Every morning I wake up, I put my feet on the floor and I say, God, I'm so thankful that I have breath in my lungs and that I have another day to live. Would you help me award the grace to others that you've given to me? It's a variation of a, of a similar prayer I pray every morning. I need to remind myself every day of the truth of the gospel. Why? Because my heart drifts. Because I'm human. And if we allow it, drift will cause division. Because at the end of the day, your preference trumps everything. Because we're about self. Let's bow our heads. If you're easily distracted, you can keep your eyes open. I just, I want you to put your heads down so you're not distracted by the worship team kind of moving around and coming forward. So as they come, I want you to consider right now in the quietness of this moment, what does this require of me? Maybe it means asking Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come forward. I don't like to be embarrassed. And quite frankly, I think sometimes we can have emotional responses in, in crowded rooms that never lead to actual life change. And so I just, in the quietness of your mind, I want you just to, to pray that prayer. If, you, if you're asking Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, it's this easy. God, would you forgive me of my sin? I ask you to come and be the Lord and leader of my life. Thank you for what you've done. Begin a work in me. If you prayed that prayer, if you're praying that prayer right now, I want to have a conversation with you. I'm going to talk to you at the end about what your next steps can be. But for everyone else in the room, as we go into worship, as we respond to this truth, would you allow the Holy Spirit to, to dig something up in you to help you understand what the application might be? Let's go ahead and just quietly stand. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Then we'll get into worship. Heavenly Father, as we stand to not simply sing songs, but to assign worth to you, we put you back in the center. This morning through our worship, it's, it's not just a, a display or a going through the motions. Lord, we are committing right now to say, Lord, we are putting you in the center. We are focusing on you. We assign you worth. We assign you glory. We thank you for that which you have done. We thank you for your presence in this place. We worship you in spirit and in truth.